Ideas matter. Ideas matter. This is Dialogue. Hello and welcome to Dialogue. Disputes in the South China Sea between China and the Philippines have been increasingly a serious cause for concern, with Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi calling the relationship at a crossroads. What's noticeable is that frequent maritime confrontations took place following growing U.S. military presence in the Philippines. So what is at stake in the South China Sea? What has brought events to this stage? And how will Beijing and Manila go forward from, the, from here after a year of friction? Join us for our discussion. Joining me today are Professor Chen Hong, Executive Director of Asia Pacific Studies Center of East China Normal University, Professor Anna Rosario Malindog Wai, Director and Vice President for External Affairs of the Asian Century Philippines Strategic Studies Institute, and Warwick Pao, Adjunct Professor at the Queensland University of Technology and the Chairman of Smart Trade Networks. Welcome to Dialogue. Anna, I will start with you. You know, uh, it, it was uh, recently uh, the Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi, you know, warned about uh, the situation, uh, said in, any naval miscalculation could escalate problems in this region in the South China Sea, and called the relationship between Beijing and Manila at a crossroads. So what do you make of his comments? You know, where are we now? Are we somehow facing a tipping point after which a major, you know, disruption could happen? I actually agree with Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi on his comments that, you know, um, a miscalculation in the South China Sea between the Philippines and China, especially when there would be a confrontation, a collision of, of ships, you know, because of the escalating tension, is not good for the, for the region, not just for the two countries. So it's very important for both countries to actually, um, you know, de-escalate tension try to talk it out, whatever it is that, that they have differences in terms of maritime and territorial claims in the South China Sea, and try to calm down, you know, because the situation right now is tension driven. And I think um, both sides are also um, driven as to their claims. So for me, um, the best possible forward is to for both countries to have open communication and activate you know the consultation process as to the dispute in the south china sea and i really hope the philippines would be more open and more open-minded and pragmatic in trying to you know to have to facilitate understanding with china and, and try to calm down the situation in the in the south china sea because it's not good whatever happens in the south china sea may it be uh, if it, it turns out to be a military confrontation between the two countries it's not just the two countries that will suffer or be will be affected it's the whole region it's actually the asean region plus china who will be facing a lot of you know uh, the, the consequences of this thing so uh, an open communication is very important and i hope it starts soon well, Professor Chen Hong, you know, some Chinese scholar described the situation as, you know, we are at a point uh, or could be at a point of uh, no return in terms of this bilateral relationship. Uh, is the situation that serious? Well, yesterday, you know, China's foreign ministry spokesperson, you know, Mao Ying, also appealed to the Philippines to rein back the wild horse on the dangerous course away from the cliff, so to speak. You know? So I think, yes, we are now at the most uh, critical time that could lead to conflicts. And the uh, trajectory of the events is indeed treacherous. But as Morning said, you know, China's door of dialogue remains open. So I think China has demonstrated an unmistakable readiness 
to avoid more serious developments, and the Philippines need to respond to China's appeals proactively and constructively. Huawei, you know, during this year of friction, we do see, you know, uh, both sides releasing footages of uh, ramming into, like, the boat, the shape of sometimes also the usage of the water cannon, for example, accusations against each other. I mean, how would you comment on the efforts or how the two countries uh, try to manage the situation in the year? Look, I think it has gotten worse as the year has gone by, particularly in terms of the incidents at sea. Importantly, however, I think that the parties need to reflect upon the bigger picture and what is at stake. The fact of the matter is, is that the Philippines and China have been developing very strong economic cooperation over the years, so much so that only at the beginning of this year, a whole range of mutually beneficial agreements were entered into by the Philippines and China. Speak of the business relationship, uh, Anna, tell us more about that. You know, for a lot of people, you know, when they talk about China, the Philippine relationship, they often uh, point to these disputes uh, over the, some of the, uh, you know, islands there. But uh, obviously there's another side to the story. Even some business people or business community in uh, the Philippines have expressed different opinions, you know, basically disagreeing with uh, the government's uh, stance. They think that's better aggressive. And they think, you know, Philippines is too enthusiastic of the U.S. partner, you know, in pushing forward this Indo-Pacific strategy against China here in the region. Tell us more about that. Yeah, um, actually, if you really look at the Philippine-China relation, it's not, I mean, the dispute in the South China Sea is not the sum total of the Philippine-China relation or bilateral relation. It's just a very small part of it, you know, it's a tiny part of it. When you talk about Philippine-China relation, there's a lot of areas to it. In terms of economic relation, I mean, China is our largest trading partner. It's a very important economic partner of the Philippines. And we benefit tangibly uh, because of this economic partnership. And that's a big part of our bilateral relation. We have cultural relation with China. We have people-to-people relation, which is also vibrant. So the whole China Sea dispute is a very tiny part. And it's not the sum total of our relationship with China. However, the problem is... You know, there is this external power in the Philippines right now that is heavily influencing the foreign policy of the current administration under President Ferdinand Marcos Jr. And that kind of pivot from a more friendly and independent foreign policy from the Duterte administration has some to a certain extent have changed 365 degree or say 360 degree. So that's the problem right now. And of course, it's, it's a something that both countries should talk. It's something that both countries, I think, should work on. But on the other hand, it's also a big problem because you have an external power exerting, which is the United States exerting so much influence when it comes to foreign policy. Precisely because of Indo-Pacific strategy that is operating right now or being operationalized by the United States in the Asia-Pacific region. And I think my country is being used as a pawn or a proxy by the United States. That's really the fact of the matter. But of course, Filipinos like us, we don't, have, we don't want to have a problem with the China. China is like a neighbor. We cannot change geography. So as much as possible, Filipinos and Chinese have to work it out together. And the dispute should be managed carefully, open-mindedly and pragmatically speaking, because that's just a tiny part of our bilateral relation with China. And I really hope that the current administration of Ferdinand Marcos Jr. will be more open-minded, will be more pragmatic in looking, in looking at the dispute and would, more, would, you know, would have that independent foreign policy trajectory rather than a 
foreign policy that is more leaning towards the United States. Because at the end of the day, in the long run, it will not benefit the Philippines. Mm-hmm. Uh, week uh, earlier you also mentioned about the larger picture. Are you referring to this Indo-Pacific strategy uh, from Washington or the U.S. competition, I'm still called competition, you know, the efforts is to keep China down. Of course, and you wonder whether there will be, you know, a proxy conflict, if not a proxy war in this region. Absolutely. There's no doubt that the United States foreign policy, particularly towards the Western Pacific or the Asian region, has experienced a ramping up of intensity in the last decade or so. The United States, going back the last 70 years, has largely seen the Pacific as its very own backyard. It used to describe it, and probably still does, as America's Lake. It has utilised the geography of the island chains to implement a military containment strategy over the decades. And frankly, an American foreign policy within the Asia region that is dominated by the objective of American primacy is the antithesis of regional peace and what's required to establish and sustain regional peace. That's the first part. The second part of the big picture, of course, is how the region itself and its constituent member nations resolves the issues and creates the institutions that will allow the region to go forward on the basis of a consensus that works for the countries of the region in particular. I think they're the two dynamics at work here. Professor Chen Hong, do you think the Chinese side, obviously I think they have seen the U.S., they understand the U.S. strategy, they understand uh, the relationship here, you know, between Washington and Manila, and of course the uh, the disputes uh, partly because of uh, the U.S. growing presence there. So, in understand by understanding that situation, do you think the Chinese side responds properly? Maybe that explains why uh, I, I think you do see there the excess of restraint from the Chinese side. They're using the water cannon instead of a more uh, strong force against the Manila side. Yeah, I think actually, you know, as uh, the Chinese uh, spokesperson Wang Yu said, the Chinese side has been demonstrating the uh, restraint and also professionalism. As you mentioned, actually, the water cannon, I watched actually the uh, footages released by the Philippine side, and it is quite clear, plain to any eye, that actually the uh, the spray actually was actually over, over the vessels rather than at the, the hulk of the vessels. So in other words, it acts as a kind of like a warning rather than as a kind of a show of force or muscle, you know, that is actually a, a you know, you know, indication of the Chinese side to be ready, you know, to uh, reach a kind of, you know, discussion or negotiation rather than, you know, to be colliding with the Philippine side because the Chinese side knows very well that actually the Philippine side, as Anna was mentioning, was being used, being, you know, manipulated by the United States and trying to weaponize or, you know, instrumentalize the Philippines. So I think actually the Chinese side is ready to uh, negotiate and discuss with the Philippine side. So I really think actually the board is in the court of uh, Manila. Well, Anna, you know, at the beginning of uh, the administration, you know, President Marcos Jr., if you recall, he appeared to be very supportive of a cooperation uh, in terms of uh, relationship with China. For example, he said, quote, uh, if we agree, we will cooperate and we will work together. And if we differ, 
let's talk some, some more until we develop a consensus. You know, after all, that is the Filipino way. Now, if you look at uh, the recent remarks by the president, he talked about uh, paradigm shift, meaning involving more countries to conduct uh, military patrol or uh, military drills in the South China Sea. Of course, that risks a larger confrontation with China. So why the change of attitude? What happened? To be very frank with you, um, we also are thinking what's really the reason why there's suddenly a change of heart as far as the as President Marcus Jr. is concerned. Because even during the campaign, I was part of a debate and I was one of the judges actually, and I was able to ask him directly about his foreign policy. And it's all about cooperation with China, trying to solve the dispute in the South China Sea peacefully, amicably, and you know, diplomatically speaking. And striking an independent foreign policy and um, following the and just following through with the Duterte administration foreign policy, the previous one. But as of now, it's quite completely a different story that we're seeing. There are so many speculations to that, but I think it's more also about the fact that probably he wants to project himself as a strong, you know, as a strong leader that would assert our maritime and territorial claim in the South China Sea and probably trying to bank on or trying to depend on what you call support of the United States or through the Mutual Defense Treaty, the EDCA and the VFA, the Visiting Forces Agreement. So all of these right now are, you know, all of these are speculations. But for us, as far as we are concerned as Filipinos, I mean, personally, I don't agree with the shift in foreign policy. And we're really urging our government, the current administration, to look at the situation in the South China Sea and you know, look at in broad sense and long-term perspective and not to rely too much on the promises of the United States. Because the promise, I mean, the United States is good at promises, but it really does not really follow through with its promises. Until now, it always say like, you know, our relationship is ironclad, but no action as to that is always about words. So I really hope that, you know, the current administration, you know, will have more wisdom to see things and to, you know, to put forward a more balanced uh, foreign policy and to resolve the dispute in the South China Sea amicably, peacefully and diplomatically. And not just to think about the Philippines, but to think of the region as a whole, because anything happens between China and the Philippines, the whole region, the ASEAN region and even the wider Asia Pacific region will be affected. Everyone is, I mean, we are, we live in an interconnected world. So it, it means it will not be good for the whole region as it is right now, you know, because the tension is escalating and heightening. So yeah, there's so many speculations as to the change of heart of Ferdinand Marcos Jr. But, you know, I cannot speculate that much because, you know, mm-hmm. I, I have to have proof for that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, understandable. Uh, so Warwick, uh, of course, you know, we uh, know that in April, the U.S. Uh, secured uh, four more military bases uh, in the Philippines. And of course, the two sides expanded their military drills to include the uh, joint exercise in and over the South China Sea this year. People, as we discussed, you know, people see that as a direct uh, factor leading to the increasing confrontation in the sea between uh, the Chinese side and the Philippine side. But at the same time, you know, people would wonder, you know, the, the U.S. Uh, has already enough trouble at hands, you know, Ukraine war and, of course, you have the Gaza conflict over there. Uh, they don't have the intention to have another war in Asia. How do you explain? How do you see this? Look, I think, first and foremost, this is fundamentally driven by a diminution of American primacy in the region and a reaction to that by the American foreign policy elite. 
this is, in a sense, a natural reaction of a nation whose policy elite have become accustomed to a position of entitled primacy, where a region of the world was largely subject to their broader hegemonic um, imprimatur. Now, the pattern that has been emerging within the Asia region, particularly in terms of the intensification of military pressure, if you will, through through um, activities in the in the South China Sea and also in the airways, together with the additional uh, military base presence decisions, looks remarkably similar to the kinds of things that were happening in Europe over the course of the last 10 years that ultimately led to the events that we have been witnessing in Ukraine over the last two years. And I think we need to be very mindful of that, that Asia itself does not inadvertently become another arena. Now, the other thing to bear in mind, and I guess this is the other dimension to this, as the other guests have mentioned, this is actually about a region. It's not just about two countries. And the disputations concerning these particular shoals actually aren't just by bilateral disputations. There are many other countries who also hold claims to these areas. And these actions is not just about China, but it's actually raising questions for all the claimants about how they need to bring themselves to the table, not be used by others, and to resolve the issues in their own interests so that we achieve a stabilised, peaceful environment in the region for all concerned. Chen Hong, you know, of, of course, uh, we understand that there's, an, I mean, how, to what extent do you see there's a danger of uh, like uh, uh, a proxy war, if not today, maybe a couple of years later, you know, as uh, the situation uh, continues to escalate you know, with the support from uh, external uh, forces there uh, getting involved and increasingly militarize this region. How big a danger do you see? Obviously, you know, unfortunately, as we were discussing, the uh, Marcos administration has been acting as marionettes, you know, with the strings pulled by the uh, United States. But I seriously don't think the uh, Marcos regime is ready to be on the course to be engaged in a proxy war with China. It is simply outrageous and out of mind. So just look back in history at the outrageous events, wars and conflicts. The uh, anti-China forces in the United States are, of course, happy to see China to be employed into conflicts or even war. But is Marcos really, Marcos Jr., really prepared to pay the price for the interest for the hegemonic goals of the United States? So I, I'm basically an optimist you know, in nature. So I hope Marcos Jr. and his administration have the uh, political wisdom, as we were saying, to place you know, the Philippines' national interests, long-term national interests, you know, before the uh, ulterior motives of the United States. Anna, how optimistic are you? You know, what's the public opinion like uh, in in the Philippines? Do people uh, say agree with the government? You know, uh, somehow becoming uh, very enthusiastic uh, in in the U.S. into Pacific strategy? You know, not not completely, let's say, uh, for the sake of uh, the Philippine national interest here. Um, as far as like the enlightened Filipinos are concerned, I don't think we don't. I mean. 
it's very obvious, like for, I mean, as far as I'm concerned and other Filipinos, I think we don't want to be a proxy, our country to be a proxy in the strategic, you know, in this strategic competition between China and, 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 and the United States. That's one thing. And as far as we are concerned as Filipinos, as a nation, we don't want to have any kind of military conflict and war with China. We are a small country. We're not even um, economically developed. We're not even at par with, the, with, with China. And I think President Marcos Jr. knows that very well. And I think he knows that. I know that he knows. But the only thing here is like this. No? There are many politicians in my country that they have their interests tied up with the United States, and that's the danger to it. And uh, you know that, that's the problem also with my country when you talk about politics, because sometimes politics muddled um, and, and compromises the national interest, the long-term national interest of the country. But as far as Filipino people are concerned, as much as possible, we want to resolve the dispute in the South China Sea peacefully, diplomatically, and amicably between China and other claimant states. Because we have to remember the dispute in the South China Sea is not just between China and the Philippines. There are other claimant states as well that needs to be involved in trying to resolve the issue because the, the conflict or the dispute is overlapping. So we need to factor them in. On the other hand, um, for me, um, as much as possible and other Filipinos, we want to have good economic relation with China, good political relation with China, and try to have the open dialogue and negotiation with China, how to come up with a very good and amicable settlement of the dispute that would benefit both countries tangibly, and we will not end up in a military conflict or a war in, 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 the, in the region, because it's not good for my country, it's not good for everyone. I think, and I really hope, I really, really hope that my president, Ferdinand Marcos Jr., will see it clearly and will have the wisdom to make the right decision, given the escalating tension in the South China Sea between China and the Philippines. Because at the end of the day, the United States is just meddling with this issue, and they don't have the right to meddle in this issue because they are not party to the dispute. They are not even signatory to an on clause. So I hope the United States will refrain from meddling in the South China Sea dispute because they don't have any business doing it. Well, wait, uh, if, if you look at, uh, as Anna mentioned, you know, <laughs> the claimants to this region, uh, not only China, the Philippines, you have other parties in the region like Vietnam, like Malaysia, for example. But why uh, it's so hard for Philippines to pursue a policy similar to that uh, for Vietnam and other, other countries? People call that as independent foreign policy, trying to balance between Beijing and Washington for the sake of their national interests instead of serving the interests of others, probably. Well, history, of course, leaves or casts a long shadow. And the Philippines has been an ally of the United States for a very long time. And in fact, has been one of the longest Asian allies of the US um, within our region. So I guess um, history always plays a part in how nations um, shape their views about what their interests are and how they balance their relationships with others. But what I will say is this. There are multiple claimants in the South China Sea. For many years, there has been numerous so-called land grabs, and uh, there is a desperate need for the multilateral processes involving ASEAN and China to be worked on with diligence and with open and creative minds to arrive at a, um, a code of conduct that will enable all the parties who have a relationship to the South China Sea to understand 
and agree to, to arrive at a consensus on how this resource within our region is to be managed collectively. Everybody interacts with it. And I think the time has come for multilateral institutions of ASEAN and China to really put their head down, to bring the leadership to the table and tackle this code of conduct challenge and really bring it to a finality. Well, Chen Hong, of course, you know, speak of uh, resolving the disputes uh, in the region. Uh, there's a uh, joint work, joint efforts from countries, you know, uh, between China and ASEAN countries uh, uh, for uh, mapping out a code of conduct. And uh, uh, so what, how do you describe the stance of uh, the regional countries, for example, other ASEAN members, you know? Uh, are they, how concerned are they in terms of uh, when they see the disputes uh, between China and the Philippines here? Yeah, as the two you know, other you know, discussions have been you know, pointing out, there are other claimants you know, in this region you know, who also claim the, to the, uh, have claims to the uh, atolls, islands and shoals. But actually, you know, through this kind of uh, you know, mutual, mutual respect and also based upon the uh, uh, negotiation discussions, we are able to actually to reach a status in which actually we can be we are able to you know, maintain stability and also the peace. In this region, this is very important because actually China has been clear its stance to carry out candid and also constructive, constructive bilateral and multilateral dialogues with those countries. You know, for peace and stability and also prosperity, India, South China Sea is very important so that transport, exploration, development, fishery activities are to be carried out in a mutually you know agreed terms. What's more, you know, we were saying about the code of conduct. That is actually the, the, the most important, you know, you know, way that actually for all the agreements, all countries to be, you know, engaged in a way that is can be constructive. So I think actually, you know, the recent provocative adventure by Manila uh, is in fact detrimental to its own security and also long-term national interest, as we were saying. Well, with uh, the uh, conversation, with the, the call, you know, uh, phone call made by the two foreign ministers, uh, you know, from China and uh, and the Philippines. Uh, so, if you listen to their, uh, you know, dialogue, their conversation, are you confident that uh, you know they will engage more in dialogue uh, rather than say uh, clashes, or confrontation in the sea, uh, Chen Hong? I think actually, you know, China, China is ready, you know, to work with the Philippines to properly handle, you know, the uh, maritime issues, you know, through negotiations, through consultations. And we really hope that the Philippines would stop pursuing, you know, the course of, uh, you know, confrontation and return to dialogues. This is the uh, sensible and the practical way that both China and the Philippines mm -hmm. should take at a critical time. And that is really what we should be getting ourselves prepared yes. for the next year, for the new year. With that, we come to the end of uh, today's discussion. Many thanks to our guests. I'm Xu Qingdo. See you next time. Dive into news like never before with Deep Dive, the podcast from CGTN Radio. Join our global reporters for captivating stories and thought-provoking conversations. Search Deep Dive on your favorite podcast platforms and get ready to dive in. Sideline Story brings you all things sports related. 
the hottest topics, latest events, juiciest stories, all with a very personal take. Subscribe to Sideline Story Podcast for heated sports discussions covering events that are happening in China and around the world.